The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Rockheads, uninstall Crystal Reports version 9477.2 and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Rory Blythe. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 93 with guest Brian Larson, recorded live Friday, December 10th, 2004. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering hands-on VBNet, ASPNet, and C-Sharp classes online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASPNet web applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, Microsoft Technologies in-depth for IT managers and developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who just told Rory he could keep his phlegm-covered microphone as a Christmas present, Carl Franklin! Thank you, Jeff. Thanks very much, Jeff. And uh, this is .NET Rocks, episode 90-something, and I'm Carl in New London, Connecticut. And as always, my partner in crime out there in Portland, Oregon, coughing phlegm all over that microphone, Rory Blythe. How are you, my friend? Um, You know, sick. Yeah. So what's going on, man? How long has it been? Well, um, I, I have been on the road for a long, 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 long time, like long enough to to miss rent twice. Um, that's how long I've, I've been really? on the road. And, and as I think I mentioned in a previous show, I don't remember or not, you know, I went blind about a month ago and that seems to have been the beginning of my body just quitting and shutting down and I had bronchitis for like three weeks. And wait a minute, rewind. You said you went blind. Is that what you said? I, I, temporarily. Yeah. You know, for my migraine thing, I, mean, right. I went blind while I was giving a talk in Tacoma, actually. Wow. How um, long did that convenient time? To how go long blind. did it last? Over an hour. Really, um, and I was experiencing aphasia, which is the inability to understand spoken language. Um, so wow. I, I, people would talk to me, and I would hear wah 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 wah, and that's interesting. Um, wow! But like I say, I, I, I got better. But then I got bronchitis, and and I have been coughing up like neon green sputum for the past several weeks, and uh, I'm feeling a little better now. I, this is actually me feeling really good. I feel really good today. I just feel fabulous. Um, cool. but I still sound like I'm dying. I sound very consumptive. Hmm. Um, but yeah, things have been going well. Been doing the whole MSDN events thing. And I've yeah. uh, been having a really good time. I was out in Salt Lake City yesterday. Had never been. Absolutely gorgeous place. Have you been? I have. I was a kid, but I, I do remember it being beautiful. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I really had no idea, you know. And uh, the the crowd was great. The crowd was perfect. Um, very interactive. Really good time. So I'm mm. I'm actually in a really good mood in spite of the fact that I'm dying. But it wouldn't be a regular week for my life anyway if I didn't have some sort of physical malady, would it? So how are you? <laughs> and you deal with it so well, you know. You You, you do. I don't know if I could deal with it as well as you do. Well, and, you know, anybody who can laugh at, you know, going blind and people going, wah, 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 you know, that's cool. Well, I don't, like, have a choice. No, <laughs> well, yeah, okay. The blood vessels in my head are going to do what they're going to do. And you should I make a song, do. you know. You should write a little tune to let all of us experience that through the tune. I don't know. Who are you, my agent? Uh, just an idea, man. You know, that's why you cough, man? All right. You're, like, smothering me, Okay. <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, what's been going on? I think I've missed two shows, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. Is that how many I've missed? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and so, you know, we're laying it to rest, the rumors that you, you know, I don't know if there were rumors, but now there are, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I've just been very, very, really freaky busy, very busy. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, as I was saying, how are you? 
I'm doing well. As you know, Rory, we uh, announced the arrival of the .NET Rocks movie this week. Right. The .NET Rocks 2004, the movie. And uh, we had been silent on it for quite a while, just various little technical hurdles. This is the first time I've done a two, edited a two-hour DVD, you know, and done a commercial production. And so, you know, there was a lot of little gotchas that got in the way, none the least of which is they called me up. Uh, I basically sent my hard drive to the manufacturer because, you know, I didn't have any other container for the data that was that big because, you know, it's gigabytes of, of data, right? Yeah. And uh, the output essentially was in the wrong format. And so it was either they send it back to me and I send them the right, you know, re-render it and send them the right files and hope it works. And I said, you know what? Screw that. I'm just going to send you my machine. So I packaged <laughs> up my computer. <laughs> I took out the non-essential hard drives, you know, the ones that didn't have the stuff on it. And Tom, man, he just totally smoked it in like two hours, got it all ready and packaged and tested and uh, threw it in a box. And they got it and they did output and I got it proofed and it's going to manufacturing now. We've had about 88 orders so far. It's basically 10 bucks and 5 bucks for shipping no matter where you are in the world. With the shipping has been paid for, subsidized by Data Dynamics. And so essentially we're making it real easy. 5 bucks shipping and handling and that covers the handling costs. Nice. And uh yeah, so it's it's cheap. It's a good Christmas present and it's funny, man, you know? It's not only, you know, you get to watch .NET Rocks like on video, you know, you get to watch a show, but we also went to, you know, Tech Ed with a camera and we interviewed a lot of people and I got some footage from DevTeach and, and there's just a lot of fun. And the show is the one where Richard Campbell talks about uh, water-cooled PCs. So, Great. yeah, it's a lot of fun. And there's some surprises too. Well, anyway, that's the deal. And, uh, hey, before we interview uh, Brian... I have uh, some mail, actually. Another rumor that's been going around is we've stopped doing all of our mail and news and everything else, and that's just not true. It's just that we haven't gotten any mail, and Rory hasn't been here to do the news. So so this one says uh, is from John Deary, Senior Programmer at uh, Cornerstone Real Estate Advisors, LLC. Hi, Carl and crew. Long-time listener, first-time emailer. I've enjoyed .NET Rocks for some time now. It is always cool to see a fellow Connecticuter, I don't know if that's a word or not, word doesn't think it's a word, Connecticuter, probably Connecticutite is probably right, wouldn't you think? Connecticutin, yeah, I never figured it out while I was there. I don't um, know. Can, 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 uh, yeah. Cool to see a fellow Connecticut resident in the spotlight. That makes it easy. doesn't seem like there are that many famous people from our little state, so it's nice to see people that are even quasi-famous from here. Uh, at any rate, well, actually, a lot of famous people are in Connecticut. They're just down towards the New York side of Connecticut, you know. Uh, at any rate, I thought that I would pass on a request for a show topic. It would be great to get a roundup of the different grids that are out there for both smart clients and ASP.NET. It seems like there are many options, but no one place to get info on the strengths and weaknesses of each. Maybe an audio shootout is in order. I would be remiss in closing my, any email to you without asking for some sweet .NET rock swag. It would certainly go a long way to make my coworkers insanely jealous. I can see myself winning arguments simply by looking over at a .NET Rocks <laughs> mug and saying something like, Hey, who has the .NET Rocks mug? Done. Keep up the good work. John, you know, you know we have to send you a mug. Maybe we'll send you two mugs just because you're such a sweet mm. guy. So. You'll be twice as right. But that's a great idea, isn't it? And you know what would be cool? Because you've read these magazines that have like product roundups and stuff. And you know that like the, the advertiser that pays the most money gets the winning product, you know? Why so, don't we do that? Yeah, why don't we do that? Exactly. That's exactly no, what I'm I mean, saying. I mean, we get the money. That's what I'm saying, you know? Oh, you know, okay. if, if anybody's going to sell out, it should be us. <laughs> I mean, we've been trying hard enough for the past, you I, know, years. So that's true. God. I mean. That's true. Send us the money. Jeez, well, anyway, I was paying attention. Yeah, I was thinking we could actually have some listeners who use these different things and who actually have experience with the grids, ASP.NET and Smart Client grid controls, to come on the show and give us a review. So if you are yeah. a .NET Rocks listener and you have experience with, you know, we're talking what 
component one, uh, what's the, uh, infragistics, um, you know, uh, the other guys, there's a bit, there's a bunch of them. Even data dynamics has one and, uh, there's a bunch of, them. so if you have experience with one of these grid controls and you want to and money and money, yeah, that's right. And you no, pay us. Totally free, totally unbiased. We'll be your consumer reports, man. We will be your sounding board where you can give your experiences to the public through us. How cool is that? Okay, next one. Hello, Carl and Rory. I have just been listening to the Richard Hale Shaw Speaks .NET Rock show. Richard states, Manage C++ in particular is best when you have to solve problems involving both managed and unmanaged code in the same space, in particular inside the same assembly. Am I right in saying that this is also possible in C Sharp? If you use the fixed keyword, then that allows you to work with unmanaged objects. Could you or Richard tell me if there's any difference between what you can do in unmanaged C++ and what you can do in unmanaged C Sharp? This is assuming that in both cases you are writing a partially managed, partially unmanaged assembly. If there is no difference, then there is more of a question over the usage of managed C++. It would therefore come down to your own preference for language. Thank you, David Eggins, Australia. And Richard actually replied. He says, David, I'll address these in an order that hopefully will clear up some misconceptions. You asked about the differences between what you can do in unmanaged C++ versus unmanaged C Sharp. There is no such thing as unmanaged C Sharp. The only C Sharp is managed C Sharp. The C Sharp compiler always generates managed code assemblies managed by the .NET CLR at runtime. But because C++ existed prior to .NET, native C++, or unmanaged C++, can produce code that executes completely independently of the .NET framework. Managed C++ lets you create mixed-mode assemblies that contain the usual manifest metadata IL combination found in .NET assemblies created by C Sharp and VBNet, but that also contain unmanaged code effectively stored as a binary resource that can be loaded and invoked from managed code. You add the unmanaged code by literally adding the appropriate includes and library linkages to your native C++ code. The uh, MC++ compiler will compile both into a single mixed-mode assembly, Plus, you can write new MC++ classes that are wrappers around calls to the native code classes. You can't expose the native code classes outside the assembly, but you can expose the managed ones. So, you can use the managed classes as shims that can let C-sharp or VBNet invoke the native code. Can C-sharp or VBNet do this? Not exactly. You can use C-sharp or VBNet to invoke DLL-based unmanaged code, and you'll get the same net result as having Manage C++ code invoke the native code. Uh, Manage C++ uses the same mechanism as the DLL import attribute found in platform invoke or pinvoke. But MC++ has the added advantage of letting you create managed wrappers around the native code, making it more palatable to the C# -sharp and VBNet code that calls it. I think, and it's almost done. I think this feature gives Manage C++ a tactical advantage for invoking legacy code but only if the legacy code is written in C++ or C and the source is available. Otherwise, it has to use pinvoke or cominterrupt just like C# -sharp and VBNet do. Finally, I'd like to add that the complexity of C++ syntax, and I know I programmed it for 13 years, led me to C# -sharp, and I've never looked back. If you're going to produce the same result, manage code assemblies, and you get the same capabilities on the manage side, why bother with C++ syntax and rules? The new managed C++ coming out in the Whidbey time frame may give me pause for a second look, but that remains to be seen. Hope this helps. Richard Haleshaw. Thank you, Richard. That was really a really good explanation of what's going on there. I think what, the, um, what David was talking about wasn't unmanaged C Sharp as much as unsafe mode. I think that's yeah. what he was yeah, that's, getting that's confused which is still managed. So that's the mail. And before we get going, I have a uh, shout-out to make to Damien McGivern out there in Belfast, Northern Ireland. He says, Hi, everyone. Could you please give a quick shout-out to all the .NET Rocks listeners living in Northern Ireland and tell them about the starting up of the Northern Ireland Microsoft Technologies User Group, or NIMTUG. I like that, NIMTUG. 
Registration and further details can be found on the website nimtug.org, N-I-M-T-U-G.org. Many thanks, David McGivern and Damien, uh, group coordinator of said NIMTUG. Have a Guinness for me, man. Well, our guest tonight is Brian Larson, MCSD, MCDBA, and he has 19 years experience in the computer industry and 15 years experience as a consultant creating database applications. He's currently the chief of technology for Superior Consulting Services in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a Microsoft consulting partner for reporting services. Brian served on the reporting services development team as a consultant to Microsoft. In that role, he contributed to the original code base of reporting services. Brian has mentored Fortune 500 companies and early adopters in the use and best practices of reporting services. Brian is the author of Microsoft SQL Server 2000 Reporting Services and the forthcoming Delivering Business Intelligence with Microsoft SQL Server 2005, both from Osborne McGraw-Hill. Brian can be contacted at blarson at team scs.com. Good evening, Brian. Good evening. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Thank I'm, you. I met you at uh, Dev Connections. Yes, yes. You were speaking on the SQL track. Yeah, yeah. Gave and, that a, a, a go for the first time and uh, had a great time doing it and a great time at the conference. Yeah. Did you get to actually see any of the other talks? Uh, yeah, I said uh, a few. I stayed mostly kind of over on the uh, SQL uh, side of the the track. But, yeah, uh, yeah, did get to take in a few. Which uh, which ones did you like the best? A, a good conference. Um, well, took in a couple on uh, 2005 SQL 2005 and the new stuff coming there, right. and uh, that looks like it's going to be very exciting for uh, the uh, SQL community. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, All right, cool. So I caught uh, uh, Kimberly Tripp, who is just a fantastic speaker on uh, some SQL performance issues. And she has uh, anyone who uh, is, is within uh, earshot of any of her uh, presentations to, to check that out. She does a great job. Yeah, she does. She uh, she's been on our show before, and she wouldn't stop. I mean, she just would, it was a two and a half <laughs> can, hour show. I can believe that. Remember that, Rory? Oh well, I mean, duh. Yeah. Yeah. We were our heads were spinning. <laughs> she was Dynamo too. She was answering our questions in full detail, adding commentary and answering questions in the chat room all at the same time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, anyway, so you've been into reporting services. Now, I, I read in your bio one thing that stuck out was that you contributed to the code base. Yeah, so I actually uh, ended up having the opportunity to work with uh, Brian Welker and uh, the reporting services development team and uh, dual C-sharp development back when it was uh, still a beta product, mm-hmm. which was uh, a little intimidating using uh, uh, Microsoft's new product before it was even out and trying to keep up with all of the uh, internal developers and learn all this new environment. Uh, but it was great fun. They were uh, uh, super people to work with and mm-hmm. very patient in bringing us along. And uh, actually myself and another developer, Marty Vogel uh, from Superior Consulting, uh, contributed code to the uh, rendering portion of uh, reporting services and then turned that over to the internal development team. And hopefully a line or two of our original code is still in there so we can claim some piece of it. And this is a managed application, right? So you wrote That's it in correct. That's C-sharp, correct. Uh, completely, uh, completely written in C-sharp from uh, beginning to end. Nice. So it all comes down to print documents, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, we've got... Uh, Several different output uh, rendering formats that reporting services will produce from an HTML output uh, to a PDF that will be, of course, more printer-friendly. There's a TIFF image output, uh, Excel format, and uh, then some machine-readable outputs. Sweet. Hey, um, I want to ask Rory. Rory, have you had experience Uh, with other uh, reporting services, things like Crystal or... Other report you know, engines. 
Back uh, back when Visual Studio was in in beta, um, I was tinkering tinkering with a whole lot of this stuff, and I was messing around a bit with Crystal. Uh, and I'm not saying this to bash anything. I'm, I'm not trying to be like mean or, or make a statement about anything. But I actually found it easier to write my own code from the ground up <laughs> to do um, charting than it was to actually use Crystal. Yeah. So I, I wound up just scrapping um, everything that I'd done with Crystal and writing all of the reports by hand. Actually, you wound up doing it with, with Java. Um, I'm like saying all kinds of stuff here that I probably shouldn't say, but... Uh, That's all yeah. right. So uh, it, was, it was not the best experience. What, um, it, it, had you used Crystal before? And I'll ask Brian the same thing. Had you used Crystal before, like in VB6, VB5? Because I had used it back then. Yeah. Yeah, I've used Crystal some in, in uh, VB6. How about you, Rory? No, I, I um, stayed away from it, actually, yeah. and I didn't really have a use for it back when I was doing VB6 stuff. In VB5, I thought it was okay in that time frame, but, but we we're, that was in the middle of DL hell. DL I understand hell that what, what happened with Crystal is that it wound up just bloating and getting totally out of control, and the API uh, just sort of you know took off, and, and they kind of lost control of it. And I don't know, my, if that's the case, it might have been one of those situations where... Um, you know, customers want to see change, and they want to see additions, or else they're not going to upgrade, and they're not going to pay for anything, and might have shot themselves in the foot doing that. That's just my guess, and that's just based on what I've heard. I, I don't really know, though. Mm-hmm. Is that at all like what happened? I mean, I've, the, the API itself, when I was looking at the docs, looked like a whole career, you know? Like, you could really just be a Crystal Reports programmer and not have to worry about anything else and just specialize in that. The API looked complex enough. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um also, deploying a an application that included Crystal was uh, a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. And the, as you said, DOL hell and getting everything in the right place at the right time was was uh, definitely a, a yeah. mind boggling experience. I remember like when IIS one zero came out, and everybody was you know hot. I actually wrote one of the first articles on it, and uh, when it when it came out. Chris, some guy from Crystal came up to me at a V-Bits and said, hey, you got to check out our new stuff, man. What? What new stuff? Yeah, we, we're like, you know, reports over the web. And I, the first thought I had was, oh, my God, here's a bloated program, you know, combined with a bloat-sensitive platform that's in <laughs> 1.0. This can't be good. <laughs> but... uh but I guess, you know, that's where we've finally landed, you know, reports over the web. Right, right. Although now we need big old SQL servers to to deal with it. So we've talked about this before. And, of course, our sponsor, uh, Data Dynamics, has a reporting engine. But what's the difference between something like, you know, ActiveReports.net and an enterprise reporting uh, system like, like, well, like Crystal Enterprise or like SQL Reporting Services? The way that reporting services works is you actually have a server that is going to be the source for all of your report output uh, rather than having uh, reports embedded right in the uh, EXE or in a supporting DLL. Okay. Uh, and then when your application is looking to provide a report, uh, it's going to make an HTTP call uh, to that report server uh, it can do that either uh, through a URL interface in the case of reporting services or through a, a web service interface and then bring back that report in your desired format, any of those rendering formats, and then display that in a browser, display that in uh, you know, a PDF format, uh, whatever's appropriate. So the benef- obvious benefit is keeping all the reporting code in, on, on one server and in one place. Um, is there a point at which your reporting needs have to shift from an embedded report to a enterprise report? I mean, if you're just doing reports in a Windows application, let's say, do we need uh, a SQL reporting services? I, you, you may not in those types of situations. The other feature of reporting services is it includes uh, an ASPX app. Mm-hmm. Uh, that provides a user interface for reporting. So a user 
does not need to have any type of an application on their desktop except for a browser. Okay. And then they can come into uh, the report manager application and uh, browse through a, a folder structure, find a report that, uh, that they're looking for, and execute it right it. within the browser uh, and having you know, a, a zero client install. Okay. And that works, of course, very nice for users who are just doing uh, reporting type of applications uh, and, and don't need the, the uh, input screens, data entry screens, but just need to get the information out of the right. database. Yeah, I, I, I see like, uh, you know, the, the big, the, obviously the thing about this is that it'll scale, right? So yeah. you know, you're using SQL Server as the engine to drive the reports. And we all know how scalable SQL Server is. So that that's to right. me is the big benefit is that you can serve up, you know, lots and lots of simultaneous reports off the live data. Without, right, without exactly. And it will even uh, go so far as to support a web farm uh, of uh, reporting front ends uh, off a single report catalog uh, SQL Server database. So so the scalability is, is tremendous. Now, it's been out for, for just a little while. How... How many people are using it? How popular is Well, the last uh, stats that I uh, was able to get from Microsoft was from about the end of July, so that'd be at about a six-month milestone. And at that point, they had uh, over 80,000 downloads of the reporting services installed wow. Wow. from the website. So, and uh, I do know that, um, you know, the book buying has been tremendous, which is, which is wonderful. Uh, so there seems to be a lot of interest in there, people at least taking a look at it as an alternative to other reporting solutions. Yeah. That's great. So, so yeah, yeah it's, it's, been, it's been fun to uh, catch a little bit and, and be along for that ride. What it, how how is reporting services architected? What uh, what's the you know how is it designed? Uh, there's actually two pieces. We've we've kind of alluded to it a little bit, mm -hmm. but uh, the report authoring that Microsoft delivers is actually incorporated right into Visual Studio 2003. Uh, there's a new project type uh, called the Business Intelligence Project, mm. and uh, then within that project, you can start creating your reports. And uh, you'll find that the report layout is very similar to uh, screen layout for a, a Windows uh, or a web app, uh, rather than you know the, uh, a very strict uh, banded report type of layout. You actually have different types of components, uh, a table which is similar to uh, a grid layout. Uh, and uh, a matrix which will give you more of a pivot table type of an output and some other uh, layout types of objects and then text boxes and charts that you can uh, put within that. Uh, so the, the development is very flexible to create uh, very simple or very complex reports. Okay. Once your report is created then, uh, to make it available to the user, as we said, you deploy it from your development environment up to your uh, reporting services server. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a database uh, that uh, must reside in SQL Server 2000 mm -hmm. uh, called the Report Catalog, actually a couple of databases that work together. And that's where the uh, report definition gets stored. Uh, let me back up just a second. The report is stored in an XML structure, uh, which is uh, called the Report Definition Language, or RDL. Okay. And uh, that's a uh, standard that Microsoft has created and published. Uh, so it is out there. And uh, there have been several third parties that have created report authoring environments uh, as well. Uh, and those reports that are created by the third-party environments can then be uh, deployed to your report server and mm -hmm. uh, look just like a report that came out of Visual Studio. Mm -hmm. uh, the other pieces on the server, there's a Windows service uh, that interacts with that report catalog. Uh, and uh, then uh, there are two different interfaces 
uh, to that Windows service. One is a web service uh, that you can call directly, and also the Report Manager uh, ASPX application that I was speaking about that uh, will provide uh, a complete user interface uh, for reporting. And that's like it, it has, uh, what, folders yep. for reports yep. that are defined? Uh, it has a, uh, a hierarchical folder structure. It looks very much like a uh, you know, Windows file structure. Uh-huh. Uh, you can set up security on uh, the folder levels. Hmm. You can set up security on individual reports. Uh, so you can manage that environment very carefully, have uh, different users that can see different folders, different reports, right. and uh, create a nice uh, custom environment. Any Any indications as to... You know the largest implementation <laughs> yet of the. I mean, have you seen an absolutely monstrous implementation? Of you know, I have not personally. I know there are some. I, I've heard some buzz about some people that have that have been looking at uh, setting up uh, multiple web farms uh, for that. But personally, I haven't haven't been able to touch and feel one and and uh, see what that looks like. We'll have to check back with you in a few months. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to check that out, see what I can find out. Cool. Hey, it's Carl here talking about our friends at Data Dynamics. Proud sponsors of .NET Rocks and lots of community support in other ways. And I'm here to talk about Data Dynamics Active Reports for .NET. Now this is an embedded report designer and report generator that works right in your Visual Studio project. You can embed the reports in your assemblies for ASP.NET and Windows applications. Very familiar user interface, works with C-Sharp and VBNet. It's a beginner report wizard and Microsoft Access report import wizard. It allows the designer to host third-party controls like chart controls, image controls, right in your report. Fully exposed object model lets you modify and build reports dynamically and, of course, exports to PDF and HTML all the features that you want. Easy to use, easy to learn. And it, you know what? It ain't going to break the bank. That's why we love it so much. It's great. Great stuff. Well, I think ActorReports.net deserves a little attention by you. So go up to datadynamics.com right now and check them out. How is this being used? I mean, are there uh, obviously, you know, corporate reports, yes, but uh, what are some maybe more innovative uses of reporting than just strictly looking at numbers? Um, One of the things that uh, uh, we did right about the time that uh, reporting services was coming out is uh, we set up a little introduction for some of our clients to come and see this new product. And we actually used reporting services as our uh, mass mailing uh, source. There is a feature uh-huh. within reporting services where you can set up a report to be sent out to a mailing list. So if you've got a report that is maybe sales figures and you want to mail that out to all of your sales staff at the beginning of each month, you can schedule that task and it will send out that report to a mailing list that you generate. Can you, well, if, we use that to yeah. actually publicize our event. We sent a report out to some of our clients, and in that report was a uh, a URL that they could click, and that would actually point them at our report server, which would give them another report giving them details about this event we were planning. And then on that report, uh, there was a link which went to a third report that actually registered them for the event. Wow. So that was kind of fun to be able to say, you know, yep, there was this new reporting services thing. It's really cool. And, oh, by the way, you know, this whole registration process has been <laughs> totally driven by reporting services. Where's the line between a website and a report? 
Uh, that's a great question. Uh, reporting services, uh, one of the nice features is that it does allow a level of interactivity. Uh, you can have hotspots in your report to click on that will either uh, expand another section within the report to allow a drill down. Uh, you can have a hotspot that will uh, launch a second report, jump you to a second report. Uh, reporting services calls that drill through mm. from one report to another. Uh, and you can also uh, have links to uh, uh, web pages, to any URL out there. Um, but that's the extent of the interactivity with reporting services, you don't have any type of a text input box. You don't have radio buttons. You don't right. have checkbox. Okay. You wouldn't so use it for So if you've got form. a strictly uh, browsing application moving from, from one page to another, and oh, by the way, you want to dynamically query data onto those pages from some type of data source, uh, you could do that entirely within reporting services. But as soon as you need to collect additional user input where they've got to type something or check a box or select a radio button, then you've got to move back to uh, a more traditional ASPX page or, or, or something else along those lines. Hmm. What are the uh, new features in reporting services to, for 2005? Uh, 2005 is going to have uh, several different things that are going to be exciting. And the product is, will be about a year and a half old when 2005 comes out, uh, assuming that uh, Microsoft can stay on their current schedule. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, new features will be a browser-based report authoring environment. As I said, there are some third parties that have uh, created these to date. Right now in 2000, you have to have Visual Studio if you're going to use the standard Microsoft implementation to create reports. But in 2005, there's going to be a browser-based environment. It's very much aimed at... Uh, maybe your power user uh, type of uh, a person uh, who needs to create some ad hoc reports but may probably doesn't know how to write a SQL select statement and those types of things. Um, it was actually a product uh, created by a company called Active Views, hmm. uh, which was purchased by Microsoft uh, in the past uh, oh, six months or so. And Microsoft has taken their product and done some uh, massaging on it and reworked the user interface. Uh, but the way that product works is you will uh, have a active views or whatever Microsoft eventually calls this mm -hmm. environment. Look at your database that you're going to report from, and it generates a business model off of that, a data model. And then the user will build reports based on that data model that will have the nice uh, user-friendly metadata in it and those types of things. And it will then create the select statements for the user. So that's sort of like, you know, the, the wizard stuff. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But even to a, a greater extent where they don't, they don't have to know anything about select and where clauses and and all of that good stuff. They can just start doing that. Uh, another fun feature of that environment is it can build uh, this drill-through reporting on the fly based on your uh, foreign key relationships within SQL Server. So if you've got a parent mm -hmm. table and then a child table with the foreign key in it, it can automatically generate that drill down to the next level. Oh, that's cool. And in fact, it will keep doing that as long as it keeps finding foreign key relationships to uh, navigate down through. Do you, do you see a lot of um, non-programmers, a lot of uh, business intelligence people, for lack of a better word, uh, working with SQL, uh, you know, building reports? Uh, yeah, I think I, I do. Yeah, I think there'll be even more when this active use becomes available. Uh, but with reporting services, it it removes reporting at least one step from the application. It's not something we're you know compiling into an exe now. It's something we're deploying onto a server, and uh, it, it's it's a little less threatening environment 
for uh, uh, users to get in there who you know might not think of themselves as programmers, but but who want to be able to kind of do their own reporting and uh, not have to always be talking to a programmer and saying, now I want this, now I want that. They can get in there and start doing some drag and drop and and get their own stuff out of there. Yeah. Uh, Another new feature that's coming out in 2005 uh, in conjunction with the uh, new version of Visual Studio, the uh, Widby, is that there will actually be an object now that you can embed in your applications. Hmm. So we talked about with 2000, you have yeah. to have the report server uh, to deploy your reports to mm-hmm. and uh, make everything happen. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2005 and Widby, there'll be an object that you can embed in your Windows app, and then you essentially deploy your reports right to that object, and it will be its own uh, self-contained reporting environment. So okay. you can go, if if it's appropriate, you can go back to that embedded report type of architecture, uh, or you have the option to use the report server, or the same reports, the same RDL format files will work in both cases. You could create one report, deploy it to this embedded object for some of your applications, deploy the same report uh, to a server uh, for other users to use through Report Manager. Hmm. So it would be a very flexible environment. You said that uh, – um, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say there's, there's some other minor uh, changes in the user interface – uh, that'll be coming along that people have been asking for uh, nice ways to uh, do date selection and uh, multi-select drop-downs uh, and uh, MDX queries for uh, any of you uh, OLAP people out there uh, are going to be supported in 2005. Cool. So lots of good stuff. Yeah. Lots of good stuff. So should we wait? This is a question Rory hates. <laughs> Rory's like, well, no, you should not wait. Shut up, Carl. <laughs> well, any reports that you create in 2000 are, are going to be compatible with 2005. The RDL format uh, is, is, is going to remain intact. Yeah. Uh, so there won't be any big uh, conversion process or anything like that that you'll have to go through. So, well, so no, good. don't wait. Rush out there right now. See, Rory? So the answer isn't always wait. Yeah, no, I buy that. Yeah, I'm done with that. <laughs> well, uh, you said that it requires SQL Server 2000, but what about the OS? What's the minimum OS requirement for the reporting engine? Um, the minimum OS is, that's a, yeah, I believe it's Windows 2000. I, okay. I could be. I believe it's Windows 2000. So 2000 XP, 2003. So, Brian, we have a question from the chat room from Matt Trevers in okay, uh, Pittsburgh. And he says, uh, Brian, I set up SQL reporting services, got up work, got everything working, and it was great. And I can't remember why, but I changed the database connection. Now I get the following error, failed to decrypt symmetric key. Most likely cause is the service username has changed. This is generated in Event Viewer with a scheduling and delivery source. Ideas? Um, reporting services uh, saves all of its configuration information in uh, .config files, so in an XML format. Uh, but uh, Microsoft was smart enough to encrypt all of the sensitive information that's required, such as uh, you know, log on and password for the uh, services to run under, etc. Uh, it does seem to be a bit vulnerable, however, to uh, having that encryption key uh, either get changed or corrupted. Um, there is a utility for dealing with the encryption key called uh, RS Key uh, Management, RS Key MGMT. And uh, that will allow you to make a backup copy of that encryption key uh, onto a floppy and password protect it. And uh, then will allow you to restore that encryption key. Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, probably too late uh, for that. 
what you can do is use that uh, RS key management utility to uh, create a new key. And uh, you will, however, need to uh, recreate any logon information uh, that had been encrypted into the config file previously. Cool. So j just to maybe change the subject a little bit, um, what's business intelligence, right? Because Carl and I have kind of had a little bit of back and forth here over, over IM, you know, about, about where we want to take the conversation. We've kind of been arguing about what it is. Can you tell us, like, from your point of view, what's going well, on? Well, yeah, I can give you my point of view and, and, and what I've been uh, reading and hearing. Uh, business intelligence is anything that's going to help uh, a decision maker uh, make an intelligent uh, business decision in in running uh, uh, whatever the the corporation the enterprise is, and that can be you know anyone Imagine from people. the CEO down to a, a shift manager on an assembly line that you know has to decide how many widgets gets turned out uh, you know over the next shift. Yeah. So what so, is it really, though? I mean, that's a very broad general definition. What, yeah, what does that manifest um, itself as? Uh, it can manifest itself, in, again, because you've got such a broad range of decision makers. Uh, it can manifest itself in a number of ways. At the high end, uh, we're usually talking about uh, what are called key performance indicators. Uh Things that a, a an upper level manager, a CEO, can look at and say, you know, I know that it's important for my profitability to stay above uh, X level, uh, or that uh, you know my uh, uh, receivables don't fall below this amount uh, in arrears, and to have those displayed as uh, not a number, but as some kind of an icon that says, you know, a stoplight that says green means everything's great, yellow means we're slipping into where we're not supposed to be, and red meaning we've got a big problem. And then allowing that, uh, that upper manager to look things over and quickly say, okay, here's, here's an indicator that's yellow, here's an indicator that's red, and then drill down into those to actually see the numbers behind them. But to, to be able to prevent, uh, present that information, rather, right. in a, a graphical format that can be absorbed very quickly. Have you seen uh, the uh, gauge controls from Dundas? Uh, I have not. I have not. I, I'm uh, familiar with that, but I haven't taken a look at them. Well, uh, basically, personally. you know, lots of different dials and meters and yep. gauges and stuff. And, yep. and, you know, the first thing I thought of when I saw those was, man, I got to hook those up to some performance counters and some web services Absolutely. and make myself a dashboard. There you so, go. You know, so I can see what's going, see what my bandwidth is like, see what my server storage usage is like. And, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. And Absolutely. I guess would that fall into the category of business intelligence? Absolutely. That's going to help you make intelligent decisions about, uh, you know, managing that server and uh, making sure it's operating uh, at its peak the way it's supposed to be. Who comes up so, with so these what about, names? What about like DICE? DICE? What? Yeah, you know, business intelligence decision making, dice, magic eight balls, dartboard. <laughs> yeah, what happened to the good old fashioned way, man? Pin the tail on the decision. Yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. <laughs> business stupidity. <laughs> business random chance. Well, we'll have to come up with the magic eight ball uh, gauge that will that will tell you yes. Well, what I want to know is definitely like, here. I want to know, like, when did this term just suddenly arrive, and what were we doing before business intelligence? Was it, do you know what I mean? Well, Magic like, eight ball. I, no, I know, but what did they call it? I mean, it, like, every once in a while these new terms come up for totally freaking obvious things that, <laughs> you know, and people use them all the time. And That is a good it, question. It's that kind of weird. Question. It's kind of weird. Well, yeah, it, we, we used to have uh, OLAP with was called data warehousing, and, and I don't think anybody could figure out why the heck you wanted to throw all your data in a warehouse. Yeah, right. Who's got the So key? they had to come up with something that was racier and, and you know, had a little bit more 
uh, immediate meaning for some of these decisions. Yeah, OLAP? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's an acronym. That's kind of sexy to developers. That's like putting a garter belt on, on a term. You know? <laughs> Good Lord. Like a big tattoo on the butt of data warehousing. I mean, don't, <laughs> you think, don't you think these terms should be like run through a little, you know, popularity checker, a little sort of stupidity filter before they're allowed to spread like wildfire? I don't know. We need the W3C for acronyms and and, and, and uh, technology terms. I guess. So I guess, you know, reporting in this kind of digital dashboard kind of uh, graphical software is really what you're talking about when you when you mean business intelligence what um here's a question for you what what opportunities does sql server 2005 give you over sql 2000 sql server 2000 for business intelligence well with each of the past uh couple releases of sql with starting with 7 we've had uh you know data warehousing business intelligence now uh features and Microsoft just kind of expanded on that each time. 2005 really uh, blows it wide open. Um, they've totally rewritten uh, the uh, data transformation services, the DTS uh, service uh, from the ground up. Uh, they're expecting us to have uh, between a 10% and a 600% performance improvement. Wow. And uh, using DTS to pull data from, uh, in a business intelligence environment, to pull data from your transactional database into your, uh, you know, your business intelligence, your OLAP uh, database. That uh, they've added a lot of features to help uh, massage that data. There's now some fuzzy logic features in DTS, so you can... uh, turn that loose on doing some of your uh, matching to uh, get your data cleaned up as mm. it's passing through that pipeline. You're relying, wait, people are using fuzzy logic to do what? When you're taking data from your transactional database or maybe yeah. multiple transactional databases and now you've got to cleanse it so that it's all consistent, it all lines up, when you mush it all together into your, uh, your data warehouse, your OLAP database, uh, sometimes it's helpful if you can uh, have some very uh, complex uh, algorithms to help make those matches and uh, line things up. Hmm. Oh, okay. Um, you know, if you've got uh, uh, two or three different databases within the enterprise that have uh, client names and addresses, and, uh, of course, things are going to be entered a little differently, and maybe you can use some fuzzy logic to uh, match up addresses and, and have it recognize that AVE and Avenue and those types of things are the are same. basically the same thing. That's, that's, that's awesome, because my yeah. rice cooker has fuzzy logic, and if you put, it doesn't matter how much water you put in, it cooks a perfect um, cup of rice every single time. It always there comes you, out perfectly fluffy. You can you can really put in as much water as you want. Really, I'm not I'm not making this up. I know you guys think I'm lying, but you can actually do that. It was it was almost a three hundred dollar rice cooker, but right. like you know that you know it's it's gorgeous and it probably does the same thing to to transaction old databases. There you go. Too, there you go. I I want to know, Brian, what uh, what namespace is the fuzzy logic object in? And- <laughs> Uh, my understanding, and, and I've, I've got to get and play with this some more, but my understanding is what's actually happening is you're taking some of these uh, high-powered uh, mathematical data mining algorithms, uh, which are essentially uh, pattern matching algorithms, uh, and you're actually able to take this data mining stuff and apply it to the data as it's coming through the DTS pipeline. Oh. So that's actually where it's coming from is it's taking these pattern matching algorithms that are used for data mining right. and, and applying it as the data comes in to clean it up. Hmm. So, okay. uh, another, another new area in 2005 is the uh, data mining, uh, different types of algorithms that uh, you can apply to your data to look for uh, various patterns uh, has expanded from, uh, oh, I think it's 3 to 10 or something like that, so uh-huh. a lot more uh, variety and capability there. Uh, the other big new feature in 2005 is called the Unified Dimensional Model, and uh, it's actually a way to 
uh, create a single entry point uh, that can span multiple data warehouses, data marts. Uh, it can even sit on top of transactional data. What did you call this? Yeah, Unified Dimensional Model, UDM, another acronym to put in the soup. Unified Dementia Model. But did you use the word Data Mart? Data Mart? I I did. Is that like Circle K? (laughs) I mean, I've never heard of Data Mart. Data Mart is like a mini data warehouse. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. yeah. Kind of the convenience oh, yeah. store of data warehouses. Okay, I get Okay, no, that makes sense to me. Okay, yeah, yeah sure. So, so it's so a smaller nothing, version. Nothing to do with uh, Walton or, or anything like right. that or Super K. Yeah, they don't yeah. sell ho-hos or anything. Yeah. <laughs> dong, no. So, uh, yeah, the UDM is something that uh, Microsoft yeah. is very excited about for uh, all of us uh, uh uh, OLAP developers to actually create another layer on top of uh, multiple data warehouses. And as I said, this can even sit on top of transactional data, but provide wow. more of a dimensional OLAP type view to that data without having to actually suck it into uh, an OLAP database. That's like of a complexity of application that I have no desire to write ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's for some serious hardcore data right there. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. yep, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Although, yeah. uh, the idea in, in 2005 is that we've gradually been bringing business intelligence type tools and moving it down scale. So now you don't have to be the mega uh conglomerate corporation with the huge budget and the mainframe farm to do uh, this type of data analysis. You've now got the tools that used to be up there in the ivory tower available in a very uh, you know, small uh, enterprise mm-hmm. uh, you know, manufacturing company, uh, uh, sales company, uh, that you can get those same types of assistance in combing through your data, sales data, manufacturing data, find those patterns uh, that are going to help you make better decisions in the future. Uh, Our old friend Sahil uh, Malek in the chat room has a couple questions for you about SQL Server reporting services. One, what about the ability to restrict access to reports based upon my organization's very own authentication infrastructure, ADS or LDAP? And two, uh, what about cross-browser compatibility or 508 compliance? <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, the first uh, question here, uh, custom authentication. By default, uh, re- the web service interface and the report manager interface Use uh, integrated Windows authentication. Okay. Uh, so there, and and of course that's all driven through IIS, expecting that user to be authenticated when they hit that uh, web app. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, however, uh, create your own uh, custom uh, authentication and authorization uh, that works with reporting services. Uh, it's not trivial, uh, but it can be done. And uh, there is an example in my book that uh, uh, you can use as a go-by. Microsoft, I think, also has uh, some sample code in uh, C-sharp. And I've got Mm -hmm. an example in uh, vb.net. So you can wire in whatever uh, authentication uh, you're using within your company and uh, get that to work with reporting services. Cool. How about the uh, cross-browser thing? Cross-browser is uh, a a little different bugaboo there. Um, For the most part, uh, if you're going to uh, use the HTML format, uh, it's going to work better in IE. There's just no two ways about it. You can uh, step down the compatibility, I believe, from 4.2. Two, if I remember off the top of my head, to three to HTML three, uh, if that helps get you some uh, additional compatibility. But probably the best way to to handle that is to look at rendering your reports in a PDF format 
or a TIFF format, although the TIFFs uh, tend to get rather large uh, pretty quick. Doesn't it just use ASP.NET and ASP.NET controls, which automatically render to different browsers? Or uh, to some extent, to some extent, to some extent. But uh, it is rendering. It does have its own rendering engine uh, that's not always going to take advantage of those. Okay. Well, uh, let's just talk briefly about your book, uh, Microsoft SQL Server 2000 Reporting Services. Um, obviously, you know, you've sort of been around since the beginning of this product and, and, uh, you know, what, what, what's, uh, what's so great about it? Well, it is, uh, a complete overview of the product. Uh, it starts out and covers the basics, walks you through, uh, installing the product, uh, planning your architecture, uh, it uh, has an introduction, again, for those uh, power users who want to get into reporting and uh, aren't as up on writing that select statement. Uh, it'll start and walk you through that and then moves along with uh, report samples and uh, will take you through managing the report server. And as I said, it'll even get uh, as complicated as working through writing uh, custom uh, authentication and uh, implementing that with the report server. Okay. Um, one of my pet peeves with technology books is code snippets, where you find exactly what you need and you type in the code that's in the snippet and oh. it doesn't work because there was some you know, import that uh, you had to do up here or something else that the author assumed that you knew uh, that you don't. So what I try to do in the book is uh, present complete examples uh, for uh, everything. Uh, so you've always got a report that goes from uh, starting with a blank slate to ending up with a working report with uh, various features demoed within it. So that's my cool. approach, and uh, uh, I've been able to uh, actually do some training using the book as uh, the curriculum, which has been uh, great fun. Yeah. Uh, gotten feedback on on uh, that, and uh, has been well received so far. So hope to cool. continue that. Well, Rory's got one more question. And, yeah. Uh, well, what about yeah. performance tips? You know, I'm not talking about like you know like in bed or anything. I'm talking about like you know specifically <laughs> related. Where did that what? come from, dude? Well, I don't know. I mean, different people take questions in different ways. I'm just asking about <laughs> performance tips. And to me, when I think performance, look, I mean, you know, I hang up with a lot of different crowds. I'm just trying to specify. Look, can I just ask the question, Carl? Right, could you stop ahead. trying to, like, drive the show and control it? <laughs> hey, could you get off my back? Look, I'm really sorry about this. You know, Carl, Carl does this. So, so performance tips. You got any performance tips about, about like, I mean, just, you know, performance uh, yeah, I, I, sure, I can come up with a couple here. Uh, one thing, you know, for report authoring, uh, a lot of times we've got a standard header and footer, a standard layout that we want to start with with reports. You can actually uh, create report templates. Essentially, you create a report and uh, put on that report uh, the various pieces of layout that you want to see uh, as the starting point for all of your reports. Maybe it's the company logo at the top, page number at the bottom. Create that report and save it to that uh, .rdl file where that report structure is. And then uh, you can copy that to a folder uh, within the report setup and have that show up on your new items dialog and you can select that and have that come up with your new report pre-populated. Hmm. Okay. And I can tell you where that goes if you really want to hear this uh, god-awful uh, path. Sure, what the hell. <laughs> it, in, in, a, in the default, the standard install, it's under Program Files, Microsoft SQL Server, uh, 80, uh, Tools, Report Designer, Project items, report project. You put wow. that RDL file in there, and boom, you've got your own custom report template. And now this works like a Word document template. You get some content that you start with. It's not a cascading style sheet where you can go back and make changes later. And Obviously, it doesn't work on Windows 95. File name's too uh, no. long. <laughs> the, other, the other thing is that... Um, yeah. 
after the report gets printed out, whoever takes it to the boss could run, and that would make it go faster. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. That's my performance tip. I'm I'm a beginner, but I'm an idea guy. So hey, I'm there you go. There you go. Uh, one other uh, performance tip, if if you if you're up for one more. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, Reporting services has a, a caching feature that you can turn on for individual reports uh, so that uh, that report can either the first time a user uh, runs the report, that data that report format gets cached, or you can have it scheduled to be run as a background process and cached. Then as subsequent users come along, uh, that report gets pulled out of cache rather than requerying the data. So you offload some stress on your database server as well as allowing the user to get that report back uh, much quicker. Okay. One, one drawback with that is it's dependent on the, uh, the uh, parameters that the user specifies when they uh, request that report. Uh, Naturally, if you pass those parameters through to the select statement, you can't cache the data. Yeah. One way to get around that, if you're dealing with a, a reasonable amount of data, uh, is to select all of the data back into the report. Again, you don't want to do this with you know million record result sets, but if you have a reasonable size, pull all the data into the report and then filter it based on the user's input parameters uh, within the report itself. And that way it will always pull the report from cache no matter what uh, set of user parameters uh, are provided. Cool, man. Brian, do you have a, uh, a website that we can go to and get some more information on your book and on your uh, place where we're going to be speaking and that kind of thing? Yeah, you can go to uh, www.teamscs. And dot com. That just sounded like FFF. Uh, SCS, uh, Superior Consulting Service. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, you got any uh, last-minute words of advice or uh, calls to action for the listeners before we say goodbye? Uh, just check out reporting services. You'll love it. Awesome. Listen, I, I, thanks a lot for coming on the show. It's been, uh, it's been enlightening. And uh, I'd like to uh, thank everybody in the chat room as well. On behalf of myself, Rory, out in Portland, you rock, dude. And Jeff, in the sound room, the sound monkey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good week, you guys. Good night.